So where are we? We have been talking about um, we have been talking about the, the you know administrating administrating the, the, the business of God. This whole issue of, of vision, administrating the 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 business of God. That's where we are. Vision administrating the business of God. We've been going through this last two Sundays. This is the third Sunday that we're going through this. It's appropriate we've moved into this new space. We, we, are, um, we are marching out post-COVID. We are marching out into the God um, as, as, as God as God accelerates and as God leads us, as God pulls us forward. That's what we are doing. And so this is the third week that we are talking about this. Uh, vision administrating the business of God. So let us say a word from God activates a mission. How many of us know that? A word from God is not intended to simply give us a sermon. A word from God activates a mission amongst the people. It activates a mission amongst the people. And the mission establishes a kingdom enterprise. A word from God activates a mission amongst the people. And the mission establishes a kingdom enterprise. It is a kingdom enterprise that secures human well-being. So God, when God speaks, he's not going to give us a nice sermon for a particular Sunday. He speaks a word that is meant to unleash a mission of God amongst the people and to further establish the enterprise of God amongst us. I think that's important. When we talk about a kingdom enterprise, when we talk about a kingdom enterprise, when we talk about a kingdom enterprise, we're talking about a time or a process when a word from God forms us into a mission-oriented community. A word from God forms us into a mission-oriented community, and that community is in turn administered by a shared way of life in Christ. God empowers way of life into our hearts over time. We get to understand this. We get to build this. We get to establish this. So a kingdom enterprise is, is, a, is the word of God forming a mission-oriented community. And that community is in turn administered or governed by a shared way of life in Christ. And that community is equally facilitated by the responsibilities that God gives people. And when we talk about, uh, you know, giving our life, our time, our resources to the mission of God, we are talking really about the responsibility part. It's our responsibility. Yeah, we have something to do. God invites us. He releases a word into our hearts. And that word activates a a mission, a mission-oriented community that is in turn administered by way of life in Christ. And that must be facilitated by you and I through our responsibility, taking responsibility for what God is giving to us. And we take responsibility through our life, through our time, through our resources or uh, finances and, and resources in general. And, and that's, how, that's us showing up to what God is doing. When a word from God forms us into a mission-oriented community, 
that is administered or governed by a shared way of life in Christ. And that is facilitated by responsibilities of the people. We all have responsibilities. Um, and that those responsibilities don't, don't limit to, to portfolios, service portfolios, or who's doing ushering or who's leading worship. Worship was amazing this morning, I mean this, this afternoon, right? Um, it, it is everybody is responsible. Yep. Everybody has responsibility. As a kingdom enterprise, in the old covenant, there was a word from God. And it showed up through a man shepherding. There was this burning bush. It's amazing how God begins a process. This burning bush, word from God, showed up in Moses. He was in this place of obscurity in the desert waiting for God. Probably it was it took him 40 years. It took him 40 years in the palace and then he left the palace of Egypt into escaped into the into the desert. Took him another 40 years just waiting for God. Waiting for God. That's not a very like uh, fancy thing, yeah? Like waiting for God in the desert for 40 years. And one day, one day there was this burning bush and God spoke. And how many of us know that when God spoke to the man, Moses, that unleashed what we now call the nation of Israel. How, how amazing is that? That God would speak to a man in a shepherding context, probably feeling, you know, the, you know it probably was a hot day, and he sees this bush burning uh, you know, continuously, and he approaches, and God begins to speak to him. There were people grieving and crying and mourning in Egypt at that point in time. And that word was for those people. So what started as an encounter for one man ended up as a nation. And that is amazing. And that's how God builds. A word from God produced the law. It produced the tabernacle. It produced the priesthood. And really a whole social, moral order of life. That word that became law shaped their, their, their social order. It shaped their moral order. In the church, um, uh, God is establishing an enterprise. And uh, church carries weight in the spirit realm, not because of numbers. Not that numbers are not important. We have to preach to people and get saved. But the weight of the church in the spirit is not based on numbers. But it is based on this idea of a mission-oriented community that is administered by a shared way of life in Christ. We say that because future generations do not inherit big auditoriums, or what sustains future generations is not that in a particular geographic location there was once a big revival, or once a huge auditorium in which Christians used to gather. What sustains future generations is the transmission of the way of life in Christ Jesus. That's what sustains us. Um, you know, what is what, that's what will sustain future generations long after you and I are gone from this earth. It is whether during our time, whether God gives us 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, during our time we participated in the establishment of a way of life in Christ. That is what the future generations, even the kids that are in this auditorium right now as we speak, that's what they will inherit. 
very, very important. Now, if to illustrate that, if you want to think about some of the places, some of the geographic locations that uh, were once places of revival or places of, 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 of explosion of, of church, of Christianity. Think, for instance, about you know, what used to be Ephesus, which is present-day Turkey. Today, you don't go to Turkey to find God. But yet, that was once a, a, an apostolic epicenter. There was a church once that was, that was called the Ephesians that was powerful in that region and in that territory. Think about Azusa Street in Los Angeles. We wouldn't today go to Los Angeles to find God. And yet, in, back in the 1900s, explosion of the spirit. Future generations do not inherit geographic locations of buildings or auditoriums. The reason why I'm saying that is to order our priorities. To order our priorities, because we do have a church that, you know, sometimes for the right reasons tends to focus on these things. But actually, decades later, what generations must inherit is not that there was one revival at the UK and in a lecture theater. It is the fact that there is revelation, knowledge, doctrine, way of Christ. We do not have an explosive and exploding apostolic church in the but we do have the book of Ephesians. Right? Does it, does it make sense? And that book of Ephesians helps you and I to process God and to understand certain things. You know, and that's how, that's how, that's how, that's how these things work. It does not say that, it, or we are not diminishing the issues of revivals and all these things, but we are just giving a frame of how God tends to and what should be our priority as we build for the future, because we build not only for the now, but also for the future. So what important about LSA or any other church for that matter is not that even today we're a great worship you know, just now. And, and that's great. And we must have great worship times and prayer times. The inheritance of this church will have to be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And if we're building like that, we have to build a certain way. This eldership has to lead a certain way. Our ministry has to be geared and, and shaped in a particular way. Because we understand that a good man leaves what? An inheritance. There has to be an inheritance. The test of the thing, of the thing has to be in the inheritance. And let me tell you, it's not just simply big churches that leave an inheritance. I'm not against numbers here. Please hear me correctly it's great. God really determines what size, you know, determines the shape of churches. Jesus owns church and he determines the shapes and form of a church and he gives missions to those churches. So the issue is not really numbers, whether big or small. Even when the church is small, it must still have numerically small. It must still have an inheritance for future generations. Now, if we are talking the game of inheritance, you realize how equalized that is. Because future generations won't remember us 
kind of keyboard we had on Sunday. On Sunday. Or the kind of building we met in. Or the beauty of our gathering will be remembered for the inheritance of revelation knowledge that will empower the future generations to be able to confront demonic powers in their lifetime. If there is a reference point, a historical reference point, that there was once an illumination of Jesus, an understanding of the kingdom of God, then the future generations can be sustained. But the mere story of there was once a people who gathered means nothing 20, 30 years later. Do you, do you realize this? So we have a priority. We have, our priorities have to be right, correct. Throughout human history, God has constantly been establishing whole enterprises to facilitate human well-being. In creation, we see in the story of Adam, what was the enterprise? There? The Garden of Eden. And Adam had to take care of that because if he could take care of that garden, that garden could take care of him and his, and his family. Of course, he messed up because we humans tend to mess up. That thing was given by God and God said, take care of this. If you take care of it, that thing will equally take care of you. From it, you shall eat. Yeah. The old covenant, God gave them the law, the tabernacle and the priesthood. And that was the enterprise that they had to take care of. In the new covenant, we have been given Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We have been given doctrine, very important. We've been given leaders in the form of elders and deacons. You know, there's the leadership structures. Biblically, are really two tires, two platforms. One is you need to have elders and then deacons. There's leaders, ministers of the gospel. Those are two different things. And the ministers of the gospel, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The elders and deacons may be gifted in these areas, some of these areas. Apostles evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But the eldership and deacons, elders and deacons are uh, gifts of leadership and administration of church, of the affairs of the church. They are are called overseers. Overseers. You know, elders and deacons, then we have ministers of the gospel, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Then we have believers living as and like I always say, when Paul teaches about the body, he's not only just talking about this universal body. He's talking about the way church must function, like a collective, like my body right now functioning. So believers living like a body. That's the enterprise of church. That's what we have to take care of. We have to take care of our relationship with Jesus. We have to take care of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have to take care of doctrine. Doctrine is thing. Doctrine is what generally causes divisions in the church. It's a big thing. What we teach, our teaching, our instruction, our understanding of the word of God. What we teach, our revelation knowledge. Doctrine is very important. That's why they continued in Acts chapter 2. They continued in the teachings of the apostles, among other things. Doctrine is quite important. And not, not everybody is gifted in the area of developing doctrine. That's why there must be teachers and then there's a church. So we do live in a social media age where everybody has a 
point to make. And we have to be careful. Everybody has a platform to speak. And that's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's got the, the fun element, but we have to be careful. Because not everybody is actually gifted in the doctrine. They, they, um, when, I saw, when I talk about doctrine, I'm not talking about the same on a, on a particular Sunday. The doctrine is a policy framework of the church from which we speak on a given Sunday. So some people may be well able to develop a sermon for a particular Sunday, but if I say develop a doctrine for marriage, that's something else. A doctrine for how to be a man or a woman, that's something else. A doctrine for how to run the church, that's something else. So doctrine is a policy framework, the background policy framework that informs our world how what and what and how we do things. There are people that God has called with that particular gift. And they're all over in the body of Christ. But not everybody. That's why it says some to be apostles. Yeah? Some as prophets. Some as teachers and evangelists. and Some as pastors. That's what it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 11. So the old covenant was the enterprise of God for the people. He gave them a whole covenant. The covenant was an arrangement. God had an arrangement with the people. Like two people, male and female, get, when they get married on the wedding day, they make a covenant. God made a covenant. He got into an arrangement with the people. And the arrangement was this, that you had to be circumcised on the, on the eighth day. Thankfully, you didn't you had no memory of that pain. You had to be circumcised on the eighth day and submit yourself under the authority of the law and God would take care of you in return. That was the covenant. The new covenant, and the church operates under the new covenant. New covenant. And the new covenant is that you get saved through Christ Jesus. That's our form of circumcision. Jesus circumcises us. We get saved through Christ. And get integrated in and submitted to, to church to advance a, a, some kingdom mission with, with a collective. Like we've just received the Dumas this, this afternoon into the church. Uh, because God adds to And once that happens, God grants, you know, as you, you know, through salvation, God grants you and I eternal life. Eternal life is not simply life after death. It's life that begins now. The word eternal means perpetual. You are in a state, a perpetual state of the Zoe of God. That's the word life there. The liveliness of God, the livelihood that comes from God, the, 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 the health, the spiritual health that comes from God takes care of you and I. And that's the covenant. That's the enterprise. And we have to take care of these things because in return, our life will also be sorted out. So Adam had to take care of the garden of and of course, he did not do well in that. The nation of Israel had to take care of the law, the tabernacle, and the priesthood. Of course, they did not, they did not do, well, do well with that. Believers must take care of the institution of church. And I say institution in better church is taught in the word of God as an institution. I don't know we can be all sentimental about its family institution. It is family. It is also an organization. There are structures, right? It is an 
institution. We have to take care of the institution of church. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. Let's say that together. Not a burden. Then it says, for that would be of no advantage for you or to you. That word, no advantage, means you will not be able to reach the goals of life. That's what it means. You will not be able to reach your goals. So, so, so the God is speaking here in Hebrews 13 verse 17. He says, hey, believers, work with the system. Take care of the system because if you take care of the system, the system will take care of you. That's how this thing works. And that's a universal principle, really. You know, universal is that people of Israel were told in Jeremiah 29, pray for the city. Because if it prospers, what happens to you? You also will prosper. So it's a universal principle. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage. To you. In other words, when your leaders are burdened by the work, there will be no advantage for you. That's what he's saying. When the leaders have to drag themselves and are no longer excited about what they do, that is of no advantage to you. That's what he's saying. So make your leaders love their job. Yes, they are called. But don't push them too far because you are called by God after all. Let me test and push you. Move you around. No. Work with your leaders. Believers must take care of the institution of church. Here is Jesus imparting to us the enterprise of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 29, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. That word confer means to give and assign to, uh, something to someone by way of will. You know, like when somebody dies, they leave a will behind. And the will might say, you know, as, you know inherits what. So Jesus has left a will and the church is the rightful heir of the kingdom enterprise in that will. Jesus has made responsible or a responsible heir of his kingdom business. So I want to talk about like right now with these upcoming kingdom humanity meetings, we, we're taking care of the business that Jesus has put upon this church. He's put other businesses in other churches. But there's a responsibility he's put in this church and we have to obey Jesus. Look, and that's Luke chapter 22, verse 29. I confer, I give, I assign to you. It depends on you. That's what it means. The advance of this mission now depends on you and on what you do. That's what it means. I confer on you a kingdom. Luke chapter 19, verses 12 and 13. Therefore he said, in Luke chapter 19, verses 12 and 13, a certain nobleman, this is Jesus speaking, giving them a parable, or giving us a parable, a certain nobleman 
into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said to them, Do business till I come. Let's say that together. Do business till I come. So you don't stop. You don't don't get be stopped by pandemics along the way. You don't be stopped by economic hardship and the harshness of the conditions of life. He says, do business till I come. That phrase, do business, means to engage in relevant actions and activities to facilitate the advance of a specific mission. It is therefore upon the leadership and the eldership of a church and of his church based on the mission that God has placed, based on the vision that God has placed upon this church, to work out a process that facilitates that mission. Do business. What must we do? Do business. To engage in relevant actions and activities to facilitate the advance of a specific mission. Do business till I come. Do business till I come. In Matthew 25, verse 14, again, it will be like a man. Jesus, Jesus, again, give us a parable. The kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called uh, his servants and entrusted his property to them. After a long time, the master, in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and circled accounts with them. This, this issue of entrusting which means to deliver over to the power of someone else. To take what is precious in the heart of God and give it to a people of LSA who live in Devon, who live in time, who have to be, you know, challenges of life. And God says, well, let me entrust you LSA people with this word of kingdom humanity. Let's see what happens in a couple of years. There's the entrusting Matthew 25, verses 14 and 19. In Jude, chapter 1, there's only one chapter in Jude, in verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. There is that word again, entrusted. Let's say that word together. Entrusted. Entrusted. We have to contend for what it means you and I have to fight for this. It means it's not going to come on a silver platter. You and I need to fight. That word contend means to strive. It means to struggle. It means to fight. It means to contend for victory in public athletic games. So when you are training for that 100 meters, if you are to be bold or one of these athletic people, and if you train for that, where you're going to be running. You, you, you train in such a way that you're going to win. That speaks into the disciplines of life and what you and I do in preparation for the mission of God. To contend. Let's say the word contend. Yeah. You need to be a fighter, in other words. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to be a fighter. God doesn't want people when issues start playing. Oh no! <laughs> Give up, God. <laughs> you go and find other people. 
This is too difficult. <laughs> I give up. But no, no, when life starts happening, when life goes down on a Wednesday, yeah, do you hold it? Or you keep threatening God? If this keeps happening, I'm going to give up. The next time this happens, you don't have me, God. <laughs> Watch it. <laughs> Watch it, God. <laughs> if you keep letting these things happen, count me out. Put Google. Do not check out. Come on. We need to be a fighter. The kingdom of God suffers violence. What kind of people? I didn't say nice looking people. Violent people take it by force. Paul would go around and strengthen churches. And it says he gave them a word of encouragement. And the word of encouragement was this. You must enter the kingdom through trials and tribulations. How do you like someone coming and giving you a word of encouragement? And the word of encouragement is enter the kingdom through trials and tribulations. Doesn't sound very encouraging to me. <laughs> That's the nature of the kingdom of God. We need a particular mindset. That heritage. Look at Job. Look at Noah building a structure for decades. Do you think that was easy? Going up the mountains and looking for a particular wood because God said, well, look for a gopher wood, not the guava. If there were a lot of trees around you, but you had to go a little further, yeah? Because God has instructed, look for gopher wood, not gum tree. There had to be diligence. I had to mobilize people. Look at Abraham living an inheritance, a stable life with his family, with his father, and going, you know, riding on a camel into the desert. Into the desert, looking for God. With, you know, no guarantees in terms of security. And, and then the, the, the brokenness of relationships along Lord follows him and then along the way, like, actually, I don't want to follow you anymore. You know, there's the Sodom and Gomorrah looks great. And he goes, and just as when he goes and as he grieves the loss of his, of his neighbor, God says, lift up, your, lift up your eyes. Stop crying. Lift up your eyes. Look, north, south, east, and west. I've given you an inheritance. Stop mourning. What must you and I be when Fighters. Let's say that again. We need to be fighters. We need to contend. You know, it's great when you watch these guys, Bolt or some of these great, you know, athletes do their thing. But check their training schedule. You know, the training schedule. So I want to go to deliver a Kingdom Humanity meeting this week. Man, we've paid the price for this just to be able to have a meeting. We should have had no meetings this year. You know. But we're fighters. We're content. We've been called by God to content. We will content that which God has entrusted to us. And that's important. That's the word of the Lord to us. He's entrusted something. To entrust means it depends on us now. It means God is watching from his throne. 
It now depends on us. What happens, what will be the schedule in 2022 depends on you and I. Do you realize this? And so if you have let and allowed the of life to overwhelm you, you're going to have no schedule. The only schedule you're going to have is problems. That's the only schedule that you and I are going to have. The mentality of kingdom people is that they fight. They contend for that which they believe God has entrusted to them. That's the mentality that's given in the word of God. So when God sets the system, we have a responsibility towards that system to facilitate it, to make sure that it runs. We have the responsibility. Who has the responsibility? It's us. It's not God. God hands the system to us and then he gives us a responsibility to care for that system. So in that sense, church is this enterprise of the kingdom of God. And that's, this enterprise facilitates my well-being, your well-being, but it also creates human expenditure because nothing runs on earth without expense. How many of us know that? Just to come here to this meeting, you and I need to pay, pay for petrol. Do you, did you realize that? But you can't call the pastor and say, Pastor, <laughs> I really like to come to the meeting, but I don't have petrol. We all have to, you know, pay the price. I need to pay my petrol. You need to pay petrol. We need to do things. And my point is that we need to do things. You know? We need to pay a taxi fare. We need to do the budgeting. You can't go to the movies yesterday and then you don't have the taxi fare on Sunday morning. We've got to do something. Because we have the responsibility towards what God has given to us. Our responsibility to the enterprise is based on our revelation of the value that the enterprise brings to our lives. Yeah? We have a revelation of the value that this enterprise brings to our lives. It is rooted in our revelation of that salvation in Christ brings to our lives. That's really the first layer. That's the foundation. So a neglect of our responsibility to the, to the enterprise points to a deeper problem in our devotion to Jesus. We have a responsibility. And so we see the value that this enterprise brings to my life, to my marriage, to my children, to my future. And so therefore I'm going to invest in this. I'm responsible for the good running of this thing. Because I realize I really could not exist without it. But if I do not have that revelation, maybe this work, maybe that work, I have options. Or I think I have options. But in reality, actually, I don't. So in the old covenant, God established the Lord. He established the temple. He gave them the Levitical priesthood. They were within that high priesthood of the Aaronic, they came from the Aaronic family. And these people were given full-time vocational responsibility to administer the spiritual, moral, and social order of the nation of Israel. The Levites were like lecturers. They were educators. The moral fiber of the nation depended on them. The rest of the tribes took full-time vocations. We all have full-time. How many of us know, many of us know that? We all have full-time. Something. 
So the rest of the tribes took, took full-time uh, vocations, mostly within the agricultural, metal, and construction industries. I mean, it was that, that's, that's all we had. You didn't have technology in those days. You didn't have smartphones and, you know, people like Londi who work, who help you with graphic design and stuff like that. You know, there, there was agriculture, you know, and there was, there was construction, there was metal issues, and they gave these rest of the tribes out of that, those vocations, gave the tithe, tenth of their harvest, to the temple for the livelihood of the priest. That system was funded by God. It was not the idea of Moses. The understanding within that system was that without the law, the temple and the priesthood, the nation could not exist. Because the nation was not just a people occupying a geographic space. There had to be a moral fiber. You, need to, you needed to know that if you're living next to your neighbor, there was a certain way, a certain understanding of how life would flow. Because you both were regulating the same law. And you both respected the law. So there was a sense of life being predictable. You need to know that if someone broke the law, they would be submitted to the authorities and something would So in church, equally, you have elders, you have leaders. If things and some, you know, things go down, go, you know, can go wrong in church. But the job of the elders is to fix things, to not look away, to not simply want to keep people happy. We want people. We want. We don't just want happy people. We want. We want, you know, uh, healthy people. We want healthy people in Jesus Christ. And that's, that's important. So that was the system in the old covenant. In the new covenant, the same principle applies. God calls some with full-time vocational responsibility to take care of the enterprise of church. And what is that enterprise? Vision, doctrine, people development, community well-being, organizational affairs, and ministry operations. So that the purposes and plans of the Lord may flow unhindered. And so in Acts chapter 6, when the apostles were bombarded by people fighting over food, they said, we cannot, we cannot fulfill this responsibility of distributing food. Our responsibility is to pray and it is in the word of God. And basically what they were saying, it is doctrine and vision. And they appointed, that's when you started to have the idea of deacons. The first deacons in church were appointed in Acts 6. Take care of the more administrative, operational, logistical aspects of things. The apostles were clear that we are elders in this church. We have the responsibility for vision and for doctrine. Because imagine we came here today, this Sunday, and there was no word to preach. I mean, I got saved in this church, and, and I thank God for all oh, thank God for where we got saved. But man, it's like, uh, you know, things, you, you feel when things start running out. There has to be the word of God, the liveliness of the spirit, the abundance of his speaking. The effortless. We're not striving to dig this. The anointing of God flows. His grace. So when church runs properly, or, you know, so, so the first thing we're saying here is that God, right? 
people to take care of the enterprise of church. And then God calls the rest of believers with full-time vocations in something. You know, some of us lay in law, in medicine, in, 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 in trans business. We all have some full-time something, actually. So he calls the rest of believers with full-time vocations in the marketplace, which is what we call the agora, the marketplace, the public square. To not only take care of their own livelihoods, but also that of those serving in the church. And that this is an obligation. What is it? Obligation is not charity. It's not charity. So when church runs properly as the enterprise of the kingdom, this facilitates first and foremost the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of God. It facilitates the well-being of believers. And it brings kingdom influence to society around us when things run properly. The blessing of God gets released. Well-being of believers. We have healthy, vibrant believers with no problems. Yeah? Thriving. More than conquerors, like the word says. More than conquerors presupposes that you have to fight through something. You know, believers are like, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. What's the process? What, what leads to you being a, becoming more than a conqueror? It presupposes that you have to fight. You can't be a conqueror without fighting. You've got to fight. So when this enterprise runs properly, there's going to be the blessing of the Lord, well-being of believers, and there's also going to be a kingdom influence to society. That's what's going to happen. And so God has established the rules and principles. The universal and biblical principle of God's creation stands is that the worker deserves his wages, 1 Timothy 5.18. The worker deserves his wages. The principle does not change. This principle does not change. It's a universal principle. Whether that worker operates in the marketplace or within the church. So in the verse prior, 1 Timothy 5.17 the elders who direct the affairs of the church well, who, direct, who do their job well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Worthy of double honor. Uh, basically, that means mo- mo- monetary remuneration. So this principle we know is the cornerstone of labor movements, is it? It's, it's the cornerstone of human resource management systems. It's the cornerstone of modern de- democracies. You wouldn't in a, in a company that will not pay you. Yep. It's a, because it's a, and, and, and that's right. It's a universal principle. That's correct. Correct. You know, the worker deserves his wages. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a universal principle. And this is very, very important. That's a system of God. And so we have a responsibility towards the enterprise of God. 129 again, for it has been granted to us, LSA, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And we know now that word suffer is the word passion. To be passionate for the things of God. And we want adults who are passionate and want kids growing with passion. We want to impart passion into their hearts. Otherwise, 
distraction from social media and Instagram and all these things. We've got to impact, they've got to see passionate parents. That Jesus is very important in this family. Church is very important in this family. And sometimes we don't realize, I grew up in a family like that. You know, I only got saved at what, 22. But these things get embedded. You don't realize it. I grew up in a family where God, Jesus was important. Where church was, you would not miss church. There was no way. If I miss church, man. My mother would visit a guava tree. I don't know, I don't know what you, you know, if you know what I'm talking about here. There was no way. It was not negotiated. But you don't realize these things until you're old, how important these things are. The idea that you come together to pray, you're imparting something into the hearts of the children. Passion. Let's say that word, passion. Passion. Yeah. Passion equals suffering. Suffering reflects passion. So Paul is saying to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, you have passion for Jesus. Don't just believe in him. You know, be willing to have passion around these things. And when I impart that to our sons and daughters, that, you know, there's a certain way flows in this family. Sunday is, 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 it flows a certain way. You know, we, we, this is not negotiated. This can't be negotiated. We will go to the meeting, whether we feel like it or not. Every Sunday, Sunday in and Sunday out, we will go to the church and worship our God together with other believers. Because that's, that's who we are. That's who we are. So the system of God, the church facilitates God and people, and people take care of church, the institution of church. Because if you look at the cycle of world creation, biblically, is that God is a source of wealth, not your job, not your business. Who's the source of your wealth? God. He's the source of your, not, not your degree. You know, God is the source of your wealth. Look at your neighbor and say, God is the source of your, of your wealth. And what God does then he gives you and I a gift. Some talent, some calling into something. This is the thing that will facilitate, facilitate us bringing value to humanity in, in some shape and form. That is called you to be a great lawyer, a great doc, medical doctor, you know, a, a great teacher. On different vocations. He gives you a gift. And that's, that gift value in society. It's your value proposition. When you walk into the room, there's only you. There can only be only you when you walk into a room because you bring a particular value. People will pull you into a conversation because you know you have a particular contribution to make. It's, it's a thing. You didn't get that thing from varsity. You, get it, you got it from God. Education might just you know, decorate it or but really, you got it from God. It's a gift. It's your passion. And what that then God does, it doesn't only give you a gift, it gives you an opportunity. Because you can have a gift with no opportunity. Or 
next environment. You can have a great gift, but with no opportunity. It could be a form of curse. There has to be opportunity. Opportunities that actually people want the thing you carry. They want it. They, will fast, they want it. They're willing to pay for it. You know, uh, it gives you opportunity, and then out of, out, out of that you have a vocation. That's, that's, that's a thing you do in life. You have a vocation, and that vocation gives you livelihood. You can pay your bills. You can do stuff. You can buy a house. You can buy a car. You can buy food. You can pay your children schooling. Gives you livelihood. Now, God has all these things considered. Whether he's called you as a, as a, as a teacher, as a, as a doctor, as an engineer, or whether he's called you as a pastor, but all these things considered. God is the source of your wealth, and he gives you a gift, and he creates an opportunity. And that, out of that, we have a vocation, and through which you get livelihood. Christ secures the wealth. How many of us know that? Christ is, in fact, the true wealth. Because you can have a great job and a great business with broken marriage and children. I doubt you call yourself rich and wealthy in that situation. You can, you can, you can, you can, have, you can have a great business and end at the age with broken sons and daughters who have been consumed by the world. There's no blessing in that. Christ secures the wealth, and Christ is the true wealth. He is the true wealth. As, you know, we, in all this, we look to Christ. So we don't get confused by, you know, the, the amount we may have to give in tithes and offerings and all these things. Like, like this, you know, I told this story the other day, this, 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 this rich guy who went to a minister and said, I really would love to pay a tithe, but man, in my context, that's a huge figure. And the minister said, well, what's your problem? Let's pray for you that God will take away the world so your figure will be less. And I think the man got the point. He got the point. God is a source of wealth, isn't he? Is he? he is the wealth. Let's say this together. God is the wealth. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. The Lord Almighty. And these are good principles to teach our sons and daughters. So they have a proper relationship with money at a very, very early stage. The silver is mine and gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. He, he, he owns it. That's where the whole thing begins. We are stewards of something that he owns. Amen. He just allocates for the stewardship. You know, the stewardship of the resources of God. He allocates, you know, it tests our heart. It does test our heart. Where our heart is, where your heart is, there will, your treasure will be also. The silver is mine and the gold declares the, the Lord Almighty in Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think Mafa quoted the scripture earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, from verse 10, uh, it says this. When you have 
And this is Moses or God preparing the people for the, for, the, for the promised land and getting them ready. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord. We've been talking about remembrance, right? Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am uh, giving you this day. So this is God saying, take care of the enterprise. In verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you, uh, uh, when you build fine houses and circle, uh, circle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, when your heart will become, uh, your heart will become proud and you will uh, forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it says in verse 18, but remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his gift, which he saw to your forefathers as it is today. So basically, if we go back to the graphic I showed you earlier, God is saying, I give you the power. I give you the power. I give you the gift in some shape and form. I give you cognitive ability. You can study a particular degree and understand a bunch of things, whether it's history or mathematics or physics, whatever it is. It, your inclination, your passions begin forming. Because God is preparing you with a particular gift to the world. That's what we say to LSE, right? You're a gift to the world. A gift from God. And so he gives you the power to make wealth. He gives you the ability, the strength to make wealth. And so he says, we must not forget him. Because he's, he's the source of wealth. I give you the ability strength, capacity, means to produce wealth and so confirms or establishes his covenant. The covenant is the compact, it's the agreement, it's the mission, it's the word that God has spoken over a people. Everything that happens in terms of socioeconomic activities is designed to facilitate the covenant. So God will show up in terms of socioeconomic opportunities in the lives of the people Facilitating his covenant. Just like he caused them to plunder Egypt. Because he was thinking about the building of the tabernacle later. That's what he does. So he, he, the, he gives the ability. He gives the ability to make wealth. He confirms the covenant of the Lord. The covenant of the Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 8. And Jacob understood this. The prayer of Jacob, Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. Then Jacob made a vow. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking. This journey, we get the journey, the pathway of life. We talk about the pathway of life, right? You are, you are on a pathway of life. You're growing older. You're walking through issues. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house and the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. All that you give me 
I will give you a tenth. So Jacob understood, right? He understood the principle God is a source of wealth. Yeah? He says, who gives? Uh, who gives? God, God gives. But was Jacob an industrious man? Yeah, he had a job with his hectic uncle. He tricked him. He wanted a girl. It really was his, it was his, it was his cousin. And Laban said, okay, that's fine. Worked seven years. And he worked. And the wedding was organized. The wrong bride showed up. <laughs> the wrong bride showed up. I mean, Laban was hectic, man. And Jacob went to, like, his uncle was now his father-in-law. Like, what happened? He's like, okay, oh, sorry, man, sorry. Still want <laughs> another seven years. And he worked another seven years. So Jacob had a job with his uncle, hectic uncle. He was an industrious man. But he says, of all that you give me, of all that you give me, of all that you give, not that what I work hard for. You know, when people say, I've worked hard for this. Like Chuck, step away, man. Of all that you give me, because you give me the strength to work hard. There's no guarantee that you and I will have strength to wake up tomorrow. Not sick. That we'll wake up tomorrow in mental state to be able to show up at work. That we'll wake up tomorrow with, you know, sharp and crisp in our skills. That when we sit in the boardroom tomorrow, we, we're making sense. When we speak, like people say, that's profound. He gives power to make wealth. He gives power to make wealth. That's God. And that's Jacob's prayer. He made a vow, and that word vow, making of an oral voluntary promise to give or to do something as an expression of consecration or devotion to God. So our tithe to God is a form of devotion to God. He made a vow to give you the tithe if you give me the power to make wealth. I guy. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought. You have planted much, but have harvested little. That's a hectic place to find yourself in. Planted much, but harvested little. And that can be not only, think of that not only in financial terms. Think of that in acting. Uh-huh. Think of that in, in your vocation, your work. Think of that in different contexts. Planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put in clothes, or you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. How hectic! It's a hectic place to find yourself in. You earn wages only to put them in purse with holes in it. Do you realize the problem of these people is not that they don't have a job or a business? The problem of these people is that they 
but harvest little. The problem of these people is that they do earn a wage, but only to put it in a purse with holes in it. And the problem is that they've neglected the mission. The house for us is not a physical building. The house for us is the mission of God, the enterprise of God. They've neglected the mission, and that becomes a problem. In the scripture, Malachi chapter 3, tithe and devotion are linked. Malachi chapter 3. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away. He says, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we, are to, are we, are we, are we to return? Will a man rob God? There's a hectic word coming from God. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me, he says. Verse 10. The whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, he says. Says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the fly, open, uh, throw open the gates of heaven. Now, what are you really saying? That the source of our wealth, you know, comes from a realm beyond this world. There's what he calls the floodgates of heaven. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out. So much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent what calls pests. There are pests. There are things eating up stuff. They're eating, eating up life. They're eating up life. They're eating up different aspects of life. They're robbing, robbing you of your peace, of family, of marriage, of different things. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields, he says, will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And I will phrase the vines will not cast their fruit means to miscarry. They will no longer miscarry. It means to suffer abortion. It means to be barren and unfruitful. Nobody wants space, right? Well, you, you have miscarriages of the purposes of God, of the principles of God's word. Where there's abortion after abortion of whatever that God seeks to initiate in your life. Where you're barren and unfruitful, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's where we want to live, in a delightful land. Thriving in the purposes of God. Blessed. Thriving in his purposes. So tithe and devotion are linked in the scripture, Malachi chapter 3, that's what we see. There is the spirituality of giving. Second Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. Remember this, Second Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 11. Whoever sows sparingly will, will reap how? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap how? Generously. And Paul is saying there's a spiritual principle here. It's not manipulation, it's just how God, it's how things work. Each man, in verse 7, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, 
compulsion. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. So he's saying don't give because some supposedly man with anointing and tithes and offerings has stood before you and, 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 and manipulated you that you're using the word, the word of the Lord. He says give with proper consideration. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart. In verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's what we want. The point, unlike, you know, this is not a prosperity message. The point of this is the abound, the, 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 the grace, the abundance of grace. Grace in my life. Grace in my fam- family. Grace in my children. That's what I want. The God abundant in my life. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, and how many things? Oh, it's not just about finances. In all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in good work. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of what? Of your righteousness, not the harvest of finances. We're not talking some prosperity message here. We're talking God's system and how that system works. You will be made rich in what way? In every way. So that you can trust on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. How powerful is this? This is spirituality, the mystical aspects of up and taking responsibility towards the system of God, the enterprise of the kingdom of God. Let's land this with the Philippian example. If we talk about people with a, a sense of responsibility towards, towards uh, uh, the enterprise of God, I think the Philippians, you know, we've read about the Macedonians. Uh, the Philippians are also a good example. Let's, let's land this with the Philippians. I'm just going to really just read through these scriptures and we'll probably un, uh, you know, unpack them some other time. Chapter 16, verses 6 to 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of uh, uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Asia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. I was talking to a group of leaders about this. There is the idea of being forbidden in the mission which I think we're losing the church because we move in the positivity of action. Let's keep moving. But they were forbidden. That word means they were, they, God weakened them. He, he, he communicated that you are not to do this. There are things you and I are not to do, but that are actually part of the broader mission of God. Yeah? They were forbidden not to preach the gospel. What kind of thing is that? I thought he wants us to go everywhere preaching. And they were mature enough to discern the, forbid, the, the spirit of God forbidding them. They were mature enough to discern that. In verse 8, so they passed by Misha and went down to Troas. During the night Paul vision. So obviously this team is now troubled. Like what's going on God? During the night Paul had a vision of a man from of Macedonia standing and begging him come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now they go there to the Macedonian region. This is the Roman Empire, 
provinces. So the Macedonian region. And uh, uh, they land in Philippi, the city called Philippi, which was the, the headquarters of the region. In, in, in chapter 16, verse 13, on the Sabbath, outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. So this, the, 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 the problem of finding venues to meet as churches are ancient problems. Paul used to have these kind of problems. He was looking for a venue at UK. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Let's say the name, Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. What happened? The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. That's where it begins. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and see my house. And she persuaded us. As a Macedonian spirit. You know, we read the scripture in 2 Corinthians 8. They were looking for the opportunity to participate in giving. They were looking for the privilege. And it begins here. And she persuaded us. And we know the story. Paul delivers a, a young girl who is demon possessed. And they lend themselves with Silas in jail. Invest after that whole process. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison. Where did they go? To leader's house. Where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. How beautiful is this? Seeing the open heart and mind and resources and stuff to partner with what God is doing. To partner with what God is doing. Now I want to pick this from Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. I thank my God, writing back to this church, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with you because of your partnership. He used the word partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will also will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because of your partnership, and that's the word fellowship, the word koinonia. Of your sharing in the mission, you participate in the, in the mission and you contribute towards the mission. You don't show up on Sunday as guests and visitors. You show up as those who are rightful what God is doing here. You are participants. You are looking for what can I do? How can I contribute to the mission of God? You are partners, Paul calls them. Partners in the mission. In chapter 4, verses 15 to 19, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not Church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift. And this is Paul. I mean, Paul was an amazing leader. But I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. So Paul shows them there is something called a spiritual account. 
Yeah? In heaven. I have received, if he says, full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from creditors the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then he says that popular verse that we believers like. And my God will meet your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That word is spoken to our people showing up in partnership. Spoken to contributors to the mission of God. It's not just some regular believer. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So they shared and they did something amazing, the Philippians. They contributed even when they were not direct recipients of the ministry. They were universal in their mindset. They thought about the church universal, the church apostolic. They were not just local church mentalities. They were thinking about the universality of the mission of God. They were thinking about what God was doing in other churches. And they were contributing to Paul to make sure that Paul was functioning in Thessalonica. That Thessalonians would also receive the grace of God. That's what Paul commends this church for. And surely the Philippians are a good example for us. They are walking in the power of partnership. In the things of God, koinonia, fellowship, contribution, contribution, and participation in the things of God. We are called to be participants, LSA. Not to stand on the other side of the line just as recipients. It has been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but to also suffer for him. To, to show some passion. How beautiful is this word. How beautiful is this word? Who are the spirit of a, that was upon Lydia? Amen. And when God opens our hearts and shows up inside of our lives, we show up equally. This businesswoman shows up by opening her house and resources. She gave life, time, and resources to the mission of God. She became the host of the men that really were regarded as controversial men. She publicly aligned herself with the mission of God. She was not a secret attendant on Sunday and not wanting to show partnership in the public. These were controversial men being jailed for what they preached. Nobody wanted to associate with them. But leaders said, you can come to my house. I will publicly show my partnership to you. And this is a woman, LSA. Remember, we need to be fighters. We need to contend. Lydia was contending. Even after they had gone to prison, what does she do? She welcomes them back. She welcomes them back. Yeah, do you think that she would say, well, the magistrate, 
Gigi, I don't know if I want to align myself with you. I love you, Paul, you know. You know, we know people, I love you. You know that. Yeah? You, sh- you know that. But it's just that there's, <laughs> there's this problem. <laughs> yeah. She didn't do that. Even after prison, she welcomes them back. He said, I still affirm you. I'm still in partnership with you. This is a wounded man. With nobody in those days was shame to, to be in prison. He said, I embrace you. You are my partner. I, I have partnership. But there's something that God is doing. So I'm going to offer my resources. I'm going to offer my life to this. I'm going to offer my time to this. How amazing is this system of God. He is the world, LSA. The broken world is people with lots of money, but with no marriage, with no children. When I say no children, I mean like children, but they are not raised in the ways of the Lord. With no friends, proper friends. Yeah. Brothers and sisters that are working with you in Jesus Christ. Not people who are, who, whose focus is to make you happy. Yes, friends make us happy, but friends must tell us the truth. When you go off the way, they must tell us. What you're doing is not right. Because I love you, I will tell you the truth. A friendship these days, oh, you know, if, if you tell somebody the truth, you don't really love me. We have sentimental friends. We want truthful friends in the Lord Jesus. People we can grow old with. Amen? Do you dream of that? People you can grow people you can become 70 with, 80 with, who truly care. Did, did we receive a prophetic word about you? You will be like family. People that could truly care about your life, about your children. People that will wake up at night if something went wrong with your children. You know? Who truly love you. Who will walk with you. And that's what God has called us to be. Not some funny business. And inside of that, to speak the truth. To embrace the truth and to pursue the truth of God. Amen. At all costs. And to encourage one another. To one another on. Yeah. Towards the truth of God. Come on. And when we feel like, ah, we feel like moaning and complaining, we say, come on, be a fighter. You know, you know some situations when you sit with friends or even for counseling, it's like, this, there's no solution to this. The only solution is that you need to be a fighter. You need to go back and face the situation and be a fighter. Contend for what God has entrusted. There's no solution to this. You know? Pastors pose themselves as supermen, you know, superwomen. There's no solution to some things. They just need bold, courageous engagement. But you need people to tell you that. Amen. Christ world. You know, we invested in these children. We invested for real. It's not a Sunday morning thing. Amen. Let's stand.